the Basement Astrologers, coming to you live from the city of destiny, Tacoma, Washington, and from Belgium, Norway. With me today is astrologer, therapist, teacher, writer, Sol Johansson. Yay! Yay, so I'm, I'm really excited to get you on the pod. Uh, we've met a couple times, and, uh, and I thought that I could use some soul, some light energy on the pod, and uh, I thought no one better. Um, so welcome to the pod, Sol. Thank you very much, Kip. It's very nice to be here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to start out with the traditional first question, and that is, how did you get into all of this fun woo stuff? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, I was actually uh, predisposed um, by birth. You know, I, my father was an astrologer. So when I was around three years old, I, I was surrounded by astrologers. And then he, he, um, he lost his interest. He, my father is a, is a man of many different hobbies, you might say. And he went over to something else. Uh, but the the handwritten charts they were in the, um, the living room and I got to study mm -hmm. them and when I got into my teens around 13 14 I started developing some serious symptoms of individualization and I started breaking away from a lot of the consensus thinking uh, in my group and I also had a few issues that I had to deal with on a psychological level and the astrology became sort of like my self-help thing. I, I understood myself through understanding the chart and through reading up on, on the different aspects. And then I realized I really actually loved it. And I, ha I had my father give me the first lessons. So I was doing this from a very early age, I think, and it just naturally evolved. I never intended on being an astrologer. It just sort of was an open door that I could walk uh, right in to. And I did. I chose to do that because it made so much sense to me. Mm. So your dad was into astrology and you had a bunch of astrology folks around. How common was astrology in Norway when you were growing up? Did you grow up in Norway? <laughs> I guess I'm Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. No, it was not very common. It was uh, the exception, definitely. So uh, my father is a, a man who has Uranus on the North Node in Gemini. So I guess that's part of the, 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 you know, the ambience that I grew up in. He was a very, he still is a very interesting man to talk, talk to, you know, talk with. Uh, he's very much into the cosmos now and he's always talking about astronomy and everything. So he's always um, a very curious mind and a very um, nice father uh, because he, he always said, you cannot stimulate a child enough. And he threw lots and lots and lots of knowledge on us. And it gave me um, education that I, um, I, I very much appreciated because I saw that school did not cut it for me. I, I left before I graduated and uh, went on my adventure. So um, it was meant to be. <clears throat> so you, you work as a therapist. Um, mm. when you entered that field, did you do it assuming you were going to incorporate astrology into the work or did that seem like a natural fit later on? No, I actually started out with being an astrologer and I did some Reiki training when I was younger. Like I was into the world of energy and it always fascinated me because I could feel, I could, I could feel a lot of what's, you know, like, Oh, what's this kind of funny energy? So I was very much into the metaphysical from a very early age and started out very early with meditation as well. So um, the therapist thing came later, actually, not until 2014, when I, I did uh, parts of a psychosynthesis uh, education. And I did that because I felt it was a necessity for me as an astrologer to actually have some basic uh, coverage for the work that I wanted to do uh, in astrology and seeing how deep it goes and how conscious you must be in order to meet people where they are and in order to create a safe haven or some sort of, uh, some sort of structure in my work. So I always um, uh, wanted education to get the structure and, and to sort of also have the experience. It's a very, healthy thing to do to go through any type of psychotherapy training because you have to work so much with yourself 
So it's kind of um, something I see probably is missing to a great degree in the world of astrology today. We're working with people's psychological material and it's nice to kind of have as much consciousness about it as possible, I think. So it made me a safer astrologer, I think. Uh, at least I felt so. So that's really exactly where I wanted to go. Um, mm -hmm. So I've, this is, I'm, I'm around 100 podcasts now. I've been doing this for a while and I've had a bunch of guests. Um, and you might, you're one of the only people who is also practicing as a therapist. The thing I think that's interesting about that is 20 years ago, I think it, the ratio would have been the opposite. Um, I think that astrology, especially with the birth of traditional astrology, has sort of just shifted the focus. People practice orary. People um, mm. use transits to give people forecasts for the year ahead that they can digest in different ways. Um, so my question, uh, besides just any general thoughts you have on that, is do you focus on the birth chart, the nativity? Um, and on those inherent psychological patterns you see, and then uh, focus on how uh, those psychological patterns um, are going to be stimulated or maybe will be reflected in what's coming from the heavens. Um, and when you're doing that, what, what, what amount of prediction is, uh, do, you, do you offer? Right. So is it Mars is coming? Um, you're really, you know, that part of your life is really going to be stimulated. You're going to feel these fields. Is that mm. the focus? Yeah, sometimes yeah, it depends. You know, it's always about preparing people for what's up, you know, and then you have to, uh, you know, dig out as much consciousness as possible so that they are well prepared. You know, I like that. Dig out yeah. as much consciousness. That was great. <laughs> yeah, because um, there's. Um, Stephen Forrest said that. What's the difference between knowing astrology and not knowing astrology or seeking astrology and not seeking it? And it's the difference between sailing across the ocean, just being there, and then eventually getting somewhere, and then sailing across the ocean, but actually having a map, knowing what you are, uh, what you are always a part of, being conscious of what is going on, you know, in your life. What did you... Um, you know, on a, on a very deep level as well. What did you, what, how can you work these waves? How do you learn to surf in a way? And if you learn to surf, you can take quite solid waves after a while, you know, as a, uh, so, so I always use the metaphor of surfing. For me, that became like um, a, a decent metaphor, surfing and mountain climbing. These are the two that I see Ooh. as very important. Yeah, because you have to prepare for the journey, right? In many ways. So it's a, there's an element of coaching in this, of course. And, and, and to be well prepared is to know that you will be tired during your journey. You will be um, feeling despaired or you will lose hope or you will feel that you are stuck or that you cannot manage. And sometimes you see as an astrologer, especially because I'm not a traditionalist, so I work with the outer planets and I tend to draw a lot of clients who are in, in the midst of their Pluto transits and it's, you know, they want it to be over soon, you know, Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Where the, the United States is going through a Pluto transit. Yeah, I, I want it to be over soon. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, you know, and we see that with Minneapolis right now, that this is the beginning of the Pluto return. My hometown, that was my, that's my neighborhood on fire. I, it's like, it's really, you know, just, you mentioned it, I'm like, woof, this is the, woof, the Pluto return is coming, and it starts a couple of degrees, you know, it's building, it's building, and then pff, crescendo, and the crescendo for Pluto transits, that itself is one and a half year, two years, you know, so it's like, sometimes you see, and then people have a stellium somewhere going on, and it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna have Pluto, like, let's say 10 years, you know, like this, this is a 10-year process, and people normally do not want to hear this they want things to be uh, fixed easily so it's a big challenge actually to learn to surf life because of this uh, tendency to want to get out of the uncomfortable and it's very very hard to work on yourself in that type of process when there are triggers everywhere but it's also um, quite healing if you manage to, to get a grip on it because then you will use energy wisely 
and you will, um, you know, um, focus on the prioritize correctly and judge correctly so that destruction is not the result. It's actually the opposite, it's empowerment. And then, poofoo, then you have this victorious, yes. And then that's really like, that's, that's where my focus is when it comes to transit readings. Now, of course, you know, I've given, I, I know a lot of different aspects of astrology. I've been, you know, um, studying a lot of different approaches to, to it. And with a lot of experience, you also understand that, okay, well, Mars in your fourth house, and you're planning on selling a house, or, you know, you're breaking up your family or whatnot, you know, what is the, the probability that something will happen in that area? You know, you can give dates and whatnot. There can be a predictive quality to that too, but not to the great detail that, traditional astrology and horary in particular goes to. So that's not my field per se, but it doesn't mean that I do not prepare or people for their transits, of course. And then again, yeah. progressions, I work extensively with progressions. So for me, that's very helpful in order to kind of pinpoint exactly where people are and what are their opportunities at that given point. Hmm. Not to not to do too much navel gazing, but do you consider yourself an evolutionary astrologer? Yeah, I do actually. Not not a hundred percent. There are things like I mean, it's there are some different theories in that area as well. You know, there's mm -hmm. a debate within the uh, the the field. You know, within the community. Oh yeah. Uh, about certain rules and certain uh, theories, for instance. I'm not a very detail-oriented person. I got into uh, evolutionary astrology because of the nodal axis, actually, because I, I thought like there was just something in me that went, oh, I got to figure that one out. I have to, I, because I, it's like, it, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's so important, you know, like, and, and I saw the, the, the charts that I was reading, you know, they were like, so influenced by what went on around the nodal axis. So I, the only body of knowledge I really found around these things um, happened to be evolutionary astrology. And they also have a very solid uh, library when it comes to understanding the transpersonal planets, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And that for me became the draw. And I am also, you know, due to my meditation practice and my other studies like Tibetan philosophy, for instance, I'm also very drawn to the, the, the Himalayas, if I might say so. Oh. You know, yeah, well, it's the whole kind of... I see where the mountain climbing comes from. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Definitely. Um, you can also blame my Capricorn ascendant. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, that also, you know, there are certain aspects of that which... Um, there is, there is an understanding here about the soul, you know, and about uh, a person's journey through life, whether it's random or not, you know, without becoming speculative, without becoming overly focused on previous lifetimes and whatnot. I, I always wanted to understand that deeper matrix that every human being rests upon, and that has to do with their inherent cause of being here you know what is that soul nature in particular and what are the implications for our astrology if we take that into consideration you know is there a soul so for me this this evolutionary astrology is a very um is as close as as i get to having some sort of um understanding about the soul's workings through a natal chart and they talk about it and, and and but i consider myself a free thinker in many ways you know I, I, and my heart is definitely stuck in the himalayas so this is where my constant if i want new knowledge i go to that type of sources uh, just to refresh and, and and learn more have you read any herman hesse yes of course <laughs> that was one of the books you're making me yeah. think of Journey to the East. Yeah. Well, uh, Siddhartha was the book that I read when I was, I think, 15 or something. And then Castanea was on the shelves as well. So I had some interesting books, <laughs> you know, that I was exposed to when I was a child. And um, yeah, 
and then yeah it, it just became a very natural thing for me I love hearing that because Siddhartha was a ballast point for me as well. I mean, oh, yeah. I remember getting halfway through and just, whew, yeah, yeah, Midwestern cornfields, Siddhartha. <laughs> um, so it sounds like uh, evolutionary astrology is answering the questions that you want to address, which is awesome. That is such a good answer to a primary focus. And I think that in some ways, what we see with the younger astrologers, so the generation coming up even behind me, mm. is almost a new structuring of astrology with the tools they have now that's answering the questions they want answered. And it's going to be really interesting to me to see who, if any, is the Stephen Forrest or the evolutionary astrology that arises from that kind of uh, primal um, opportunity. Um, I think you could talk about Chris Brennan, um, but he's almost more of like a, uh, like a, uh, the guy, if, if we're, if we're in, um, a gold rush, he's selling picks and shovels, right? He's, uh, he's given people the, the tools to dig the ore. Um, and I don't know if you got to sit in on any of Norwalk, um, but some of our astrologers who are just getting to their Saturn returns or just over it just brought the thunder. Um, with some talks about inter, um, intersectionality, um, social justice, and really tied the astrology in thoroughly um, mm -hmm. in a growth-based way. Um, I'll give shout-outs, Bear River and, uh, and uh, Diana Harper, um, two of my faves. And it, was, it, it really uh, filled the soul with light. But it's the mm -hmm. type of conversation that I don't yeah. know that astrology has been having. So listening to you talk about evolutionary astrology and your love for it and, and it's answering the questions you want to answer which is wonderful i think i'm seeing that reemerge now i just don't know if we have a name for it yet yeah i'm i'm so thrilled to hear about this uh, this um new wave of thinkers i mean it's been um, it's it's been a joy to watch the internet evolve in many ways you know i, I was there pre-internet and uh, I did, you know, I cast my first chart by hand. So I did like the old school, but still did not really recognize myself as an old school person that being very urban and, you know, traveled the world. And I still consider myself very young. <laughs> Come on, I'm only in my teens. This is my inner self speaking. So I'm very thrilled to see that, you know, now with the dawn of internet really upon us, we are starting to really see the consequences of of what that means and what that did to the world of astrology it's like it created such a big boom of thinkers and philosophers and, and and people with beautiful minds all over the planet going wow this is so interesting it's it's such a deep resonance for us to be able to work with the archetypes and to see these bigger pictures and and to draw connections and and you know my father was always a little skeptic he's skeptical he said i don't know this there's, um, there's a new wave of, of uh, rationalism coming, he said. And I'm like, I think you're wrong, my friend, because you can certainly kill religion. I mean, definitely, you can say a lot of bad things about dogmas, but spirituality, I don't think there's any chance we can kill the, the spiritual connection that is inherently our primal connection to life. And that is what we have the opportunity to to um, uh, see now and people get in touch with their higher minds when they do this and then suddenly they get in touch with their genius and what that will bring into the world of astrology is hard to say right now but i don't know there's a lot of seeding into the different um parts of the in astrology as well i was also um, uh, presenting at this uh, vedic astrology in india in 2018. Ooh. yeah uh, east meets west and there were all kinds of astrologers uh, there like we were around 50 and it's always a very friendly tone yeah there can be some harsh um, debates occasionally about the meaning of what like for instance there were a lot of people who did not really appreciate the use of uh, of the word karma no that's not why i like to keep my my astrology clean of that kind of thing but it's a very useful concept. So, you know, like after a while, it's like it's growing on us. Like Chris Brennan, he also brought in the, um, 
the Holstein houses, which was kind of like a relief for us northerners who always had that. <laughs> when things go above 66 degrees north, everything collapses then, you know, like when it comes to house systems. And I think it also brought in a lot of thinking, like now we really have to sit and think about this, you know, what does it mean? You know, what what is the house system anyway? And it brought in um, for instance, through shamanistic astrology, suddenly we all started looking at the sky like Brett Gemini. He was like, oh, yeah. he's doing great jobs there with the Opa and, and, and like people are now sky watching. And you also have uh, Julia Simas over at the Cosmic Intelligence Agency. She's always been very fascinated about, you know, this astronomy thing and really good with that. So, you know, it's sharpening our minds. And then also, you know, the three zodiacs, and and then you have all kinds of, um, you know, what I also uh, had have a lot of experience with. It's actually facing academics and skeptics and going into conversations with them rather than trying to knock them in, in on, you know, across the head with my knowledge. I wanted to understand. I I really truly want to understand the way they think. You know, and the moment I wanted to understand the way that I that they think, they also wanted to understand the way that I was thinking. And suddenly we actually had a conversation instead of just um, a nasty debate, you know, that uh, somebody started to cry eventually. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a very interesting time in history for astrology. Definitely. What I'm a little bit concerned about is that, you know, there's a neurosis on planet Earth. You know, there's a neurotic aspect in humanity um, and understanding, uh, I understand that, you know, uh, we're here on the third rock from the sun, which is a glowing bulb of fire. And it's, uh, you know, we are somewhere we really do not know where it is. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty about being alive. And therefore, I think a tool like astrology can very well be used for existential angst and trying to control the future. But I had some key moments in my own um, life where I was really confronted with that, you know, do you use astrology to control? Should you control with it? Or do you use it to understand? It's the difference between the magicians, right? And the, uh, and the probably the mystic. Um, I mean, do you surrender to life or do you constantly try to control it? And it is a fact that a lot of people, uh, due to their fear of the outcome of every, any situation which might be founded in, in a certain disbelief, might use this and become even more stressed out because of the Mars retrograde or the Mercury retrograde and whatnot. So there's an ethical aspect that I've been you know, sticking my nose into quite often, actually, when it, especially when it comes to predictive astrology. Um, so I try to be ethical with this myself as well, because I know very well, I can notice very well when people are just not wanting to work. They just want the quick fix. They just want the answers. They just want to, to, to uh, well, make me be the one who takes responsibility for them, you know, in a way. So, so yeah, there is absolutely an ethical question there that I think is also something that we as a collective, as a, as a, as a unified group, I think working as professionals, we are, um, we will talk about and we will share it also publicly um, in different uh, organs. Mm. So it's good. I liked every bit of that. <laughs> um, so you had a topic, um, mm -hmm. but you said one other thing that really intrigued me, uh, because this is perhaps the area of my astrological Kung Fu, where I am doing my best to uh, sharpen my axe whenever I can. And that is the nodes. Um, so if you would please uh, indulge me and just give me your elevator pitch <clears throat> on the nodes. On the nodes? Yes, please. So you were okay. saying that that's what led you into uh, evolutionary astrology. And so I'm just asking you for, uh, I'm sure that you could give me two hours, <laughs> but I just want a paragraph and then we'll move over to, um, to the topic you wanted to discuss. Yeah. Well, the nodal axis, is, um, well, as you know, it's the, um, it, it pertains to the moon 
So therefore, there is a certain element of the past in it. So um, I always considered it uh, the red thread in anyone's lives. You know, this is the point of evolution that you go through in your lifetime. So the sign on the south node, which is, um, well, it, it's shaped as a cup, you know, and, and it's kind of containing something already. So it contains some tendencies that are highly instinctual and very familiar for the individual. So the, the archetypes and the aspects to the south node, um, the ruler of the south node, etc., uh, uh, creates a mosaic that can give you some pinpointers together with the moon, of course, to the, to the tendencies, the instinctual tendencies of an individual. You can maybe want to call it karma. If there are some planets on the south node, you will see that they will go through an intense process of... Um, what I have chosen to call purification, which is definitely um, taking out, uh, there's a spectrum in every archetype. It goes from the very unconscious to the very conscious, uh, and it goes from a very, um, well, not always as pleasant expression to a very um, educated and spiritual expression. Uh, there are lower uh, vibrations in them and higher vibrations in them. And then very often through the South Node, you can see very often there's a, sa a saturation of a certain quality of that, uh, of that sign or that combo of energies that will happen around the South Node. Let's say Saturn is on the South Node. You can see that perhaps this individual is carrying a lot of guilt and it's just there by default. And then you have to examine why. Why is it so? Is this real or is it just something that's been conditioned into you? So you can see a little bit of, of a person's um, natural habitat as a, as a, Ooh, as like a child. That. Yeah. And then there can also be talents, of course. I mean, there's, there's good and bad karma. You know, you might have had some, some real um, momentum going on and, and really like, oh, yeah, I, I mastered this one. I know, but it's, it's very familiar. You know, it's very familiar. So out of the comfort zone is where the transformation happens. And very often, especially if the North Node is without any planets, um, it's a little uninhabited, you will have a very natural um, um, discomfort uh, in, uh, embodying those qualities. But there's a, a longing to do so. There's this feeling like, there's a, a, a pot at the end of the rainbow. And, and to integrate those aspects would be very helpful for a feeling of growth and not being so stuck in one's tendencies. Um, and, and there's joy involved in it. Like it's the difference between karma and dharma. The dharma is the joy. It's like, wow, I, I'm free to express this now or I'm free to, to uh, experience this now. So that's why um, I think it's so healing to work with. And uh, well, a good example, actually, what has been going on lately with the transits of like what, how many planets, including Ceres in, in Capricorn. I mean, there was a very Capricorn um, overload on the South Node just recently with the entrance of the COVID and, and for the new Saturn-Pluto conjunction, like and nothing happening on the North Node in Cancer. And it made me think like, oh my God, we are all so tired of this. Go, 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 Capricorn, corporate thinking, got to get up at five, got to make money, production, production, production. And I was feeling like an increased sense of fatigue all the way since the fires of the Amazon. That's when it really started. Like I was starting to feel like, oh God, there's a certain tiredness everywhere. People were just getting so tired of everything. This too, you know? And there was nothing of this lovely, simple cancer vibe, like this just staying at home. And so it all became like almost like um, a cosmic drama just to pull us over into the North Node in Cancer and start expressing some simpler needs. Like, I feel good walking around in my pajamas all day long, you know, <laughs> I'm reconnecting with myself here now. And there was also another player in the game, which was Chiron squaring that nodal axis. So um, I saw that to be quite um, graphic for what happened with the COVID and, and the quarantine and, and, and generally speaking, the, the world fatigue or the world situation in general. Very interesting. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> that is a perfect segue into um, betrayal. <laughs> so I thought this was great. So Soul is this uh, bright, shining light. Um, her name is Soul. And if you ever met her, it's always a big smile. And uh, Soul is, is, has a larger than life personality. It's very fun uh, to be in a group with her. Um, and so I, I reach out to Soul. I'm like, Soul, the world's falling apart. I need some Soul. She's like, oh, very graciously agreed to come on. I said, all right, what would you like to talk about? And her response was betrayal, <laughs> which frankly is an incredibly appropriate topic for right now. Um, and I'm sure Soul has some wonderful thoughts on it. I just thought it was funny. Um, so you, you wanted to talk about something that I am not completely wrote with, and that is Eris and Eris's transit with Pluto. So I'm really excited. Um, here's the floor, please. Um, dig into yeah. betrayal. Yeah, well, there's been betrayal. I mean, um, uh, this whole system that we're living, which is the tale of Pluto in Capricorn that's unfolding for our, you know, in front of us right now. It's, it's all about this, how the system is kind of, um, um, in a way, asking us to betray ourselves uh, just to get a, a seat at the table. And the schooling system as well, you see it very often. Let's see um, children who are hyperactive, for instance, are, are asked to betray their natures very, very early on um, and sit still. But it's not their nature to sit still. We do not have an individuated way of educating our children. We just say, everybody got to do the same. It's, it's easier. We're one size fits all. And it's asking us to betray things like... Um, the way we look, for instance, um, the way, you know, now, now there's like, now we need to have big butts because that's what the Kardashians that's have. Right, yeah. And then we're constantly being asked to betray ourselves. And since Venus is retrograde now, right? And it squares Neptune three times. Uh, um, it's also bringing up a little bit of, of the illusions of, you know, of what we see. Is that real? What is it that we're actually looking at? Who is real anyway? But in a system that is kind of fueled by betrayal, it's hard to be honest. It's hard to be really open because people do not really want it. It's like it's too frightening in a way. Healing is very based on one thing. Truth is healthy. Authenticity is kind of like... Um, what restores balance again in your own life. If you cannot say it out loud, at least you can be honest with yourself. And that's when progress happens. So I think, you know, this tradition of our schooling system and, and how the, the corporate life as well is asking to betray ourselves is actually quite traumatizing for that basic foundation, which we call self-worth. I tend to separate between self-confidence and self-worth because self-confidence is evidently something you can build. And a lot of do it as a compensation for a lacking self-worth. They think because I'm not worth anything, I have to prove myself so that I'm worthy of something. It could be love, it could be money, it could be, you know, whatever it is, you know, just feeling worthy. They have to work so hard to get there because they never really... Um, learned how to listen in on themselves and, 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 and be truthful to themselves. So these compensations and, and, and so much of the commercial life is, is driven through that, you know, like the appeal to the appeal to the guilt of being not pretty enough or like whatever it is, not rich enough, not whatever enough. And that's how they sell a lot of these beauty products and, and, you know, a lot of the status in general, like, would you wear such a purse if it hadn't given you some sort of power? I don't know. It's not really pretty, is it? You know, but it gives you a certain power and that's not a real power, but it's a power that we can call self-confidence. It's the same as if you learned Italian and then you were super fluent in Italian a few years because you kept it alive like every time you got into a situation where you could practice your Italian you were like on you know like hey and then you scored some points and then and then it got rusty you, you stopped using it and then you were suddenly in a situation where somebody started Italian and you thought come on I can do this yeah sure and you you fell on your face, you know, and you realized, I don't know Italian anymore. I forgot to practice it. And if you have a very a weak sense of uh, self in the, at your core, 
the self-worth, you will crumble under such a failure. You will think of it as a failure. You will not be able to make a mistake because it means too much for you what other people think. So that's how we externalized a lot of self-love. We said we outsourced it. That's how I say it. I, I outsourced the, the, the love because I think inherently, and I noticed this, you know, as I grow in my own life as well, I think, you know, it's something extremely frightening with strong people with healthy self-worth. It's like you feel, oh, these people, you cannot really manipulate them. You cannot you kind of, it's like, I, I consider it the area of the hips. Now, if your hips are solid and your feet are planted well in the ground, you cannot really push that person over, can you? No, that person will, like a, is a little kung fu, you know? Like that person will simply just dynamically just bounce back like a cat or something. You know, it's like, I'm just here, okay? You know, like it doesn't really have to prove itself, you know? But a lack of it needs then we have to prove ourselves constantly. And I think that's part of the fatigue. You know, like, I think that's why we're so tired because we are so tired of having to prove ourselves. You know, I have to prove myself worthy of my, my boss's, you know, race or, you know, like my, my spouse's love or my, my children's love. Yeah. And then when I don't feel that I get it, I get disappointed and angry. And then, you know, like the betrayal is, is one of the biggest energies on earth that we can call a collective um a collective energy and it, it and it really creates so much insecurity also in our social relationships because due to this in it to win it kind of um economy we have we sell our brothers and sisters and daughters and whatnot just to get a place in the sun ourselves and it really is, it's, uh, for me, it becomes the opposite of those three virtues that I tend to follow, the good, the true, and the beautiful, which is kind of the, the, the foundation of compassion in a way. And, and therefore, when I, when I, like, do we want each other to be as beautiful and free, you know, together? Or do we just want it for ourselves in a way, you know? <laughs> so, I feel like you're subtweeting the entire American experiment. <laughs> it's a it's a very nice position. I live on the west coast of Norway, and sometimes I imagine I'm just because I know a lot of Americans. I worked with a lot of Americans. I I I did a lecture in Norway in 2014 that was that I I, I called the soul of the United States. I've been very interested because I, I accept its position. I accept its power over our consciousness and its really strong influence, the symbolic power it has for our earth. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a actually a very good position to be in if, if it was only used well, you know? But right now I'm also seeing something terrifying, actually. I'm seeing... Um, the world war, the, the civil war started in what, 1862. Neptune was on its um, the 29th degree. We all know about the 29th degree, right? In Pisces. And right now, Neptune is in Pisces. And Pluto is also closing up on that 70, 76 point, um, you know, 27 degrees Capricorn. And you have both of these two running simultaneously. So I'm like, wait, oh, I'm seeing the split happening. And now with Minneapolis and, and this old karma around the African-Americans, for instance, and the slavery and, uh, yeah. And then you have now, not that I'm, you know, like I try to be as neutral as possible, but with President Trump, you have somebody who, who really hasn't understood how to keep a nation together. You know, it's- Where would you put him on that self-worth uh, self-confidence scale. Where do, you, where do you think he'd go? Oh, do I have to say anything? Oh, come on. No, you my, don't. You don't. I think we I all know. Say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's just such a, it's such a, it's such a high volatile kind of subject right now. You know, uh, you know like, um, there's a very expressive Mars in Leo in his chart. We all know that. We've noticed and he sometimes do not think very well through the things he says, you know, he's a Gemini. Um, so sometimes, you know, um, 
Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I saw the documentary about him once a long time ago before he won the election. You know, Trump has been, you know, he was like, you are fired. So we all noticed Trump, you know, over here. Um, and he's the kind of guy that makes you kind of curious. So you want to get into his charts, right? Especially if you're an astrologer. That's how we do it. <laughs> it's like, no, oh, I better check his chart. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that, that documentary on his upbringing gave me a lot of clues as to uh, the compensations that he's doing, you know. Um, and there are stories, you know, um, how, how little criticism he can handle. Like somebody said his hands were too small and that became somewhat of an obsession for him. So, you know, I think everybody needs therapy and Trump included, absolutely. There are some serious, probably inner child issues here that could have been, um, I think it's, it's hard to be in such a position and not having worked on yourself. Really, like that, that would, for me, that would be like, oh my goodness, that's dangerous if you ask me. Um, for some people, evidently, it's not so difficult, uh, but um, it would be an advantage for everybody on earth that, that the people on top really actually healed themselves, uh, which, which we can say about a lot of, uh, of leaders today. And we definitely have a leader problem. Hmm. So um, I want to get you back to Eris, um, yeah. but we're just about to have the nodal shift. Um, and I really liked the, the, your discussion of this break and how the break really reflected uh, the North Node in Cancer. I mean, I don't know if you have so, how much social media you do, but the, I, this explosion of people baking bread was crazy <laughs> to me and like feeding their families with, with this dough that they needed themselves. Um, and just thinking of taking the same comfort that generations before, and, and for most of human history, that was women who were in charge of baking bread and oftentimes maternal figures. So this idea of going back, um, but also growing, um, not only does bread grow, but the skills of growing, of baking bread were exploding. So when you look at that nodal shift, when we have the North Node in Gemini and the South Node in Sagittarius, where does that fit into um, kind of your idea of the schema of betrayal of of these topics we were talking about with the breakdown of kind of that Capricornian structure that we really saw as the South Node went through Capricorn. That's one of the beauties of evolutionary astrology is that it's this understanding that everything is a process. The whole um, astrological mandala is a process. It's a journey, right? So you go from Sagittarius and then into Capricorn and, and that's a natural evolution in it. You know, like the one sign grows out of the other, but it's sort of like it's a yin and a yang. So it, one is breaking down, it, like there's a mutation and, and a transformation happening in that evolution that is um, like for Leo going into Virgo, for instance, this lush and full bloom of the ego comes into scrutiny of the mind suddenly and suddenly you start questioning and second guessing your your hubris in a way. But when, you know, this transit into Sagittarius is very interesting. The nodal axis is, is uh, going retrograde, as we all know. So it's, it's just doing something that is worth reflecting upon. Why is that? What does that mean? you know, in terms of evolutionary processes. Why is it going backwards? You know, that doesn't make sense. But um, so it's still something that I think is worth reflecting on. Uh, but it, you know, in Capricorn, we see everything as it is. You know, this is the structures of society. This is what we built. It's concrete. This is the result of our ideas. But before anything can be built, like even a chair or any, you know, a phone, or there has to be an idea a plan for it. There has to be even a philosophy behind it. You know, um, the school, for instance, when you build a school, you also fill it with knowledge and that knowledge has to fit into a philosophical paradigm that is existing in society. So every philosophical debate, the, the debates of what is truth and what is this paradigm anyway, and what is this science anyway, and what is, is the earth flat or what, you know, whatever it is that we're debating and discussing, it happens in the area of, of Sagittarius where we try to get to the truth of everything. And what we see here today now with that kind of, uh, and, um, 
shift is that um, we have a lot of conspiracy theories happening online. Um, Pluto is conjunct uh, Jupiter, the ruler of that south node, and um, the power of the word becomes increasingly important. There is a necessity to become a little bit aware of how we communicate because it's the south node, right? So it takes in kind of like the, the lower aspects of Sagittarius, which is bombastic, dogmatic, uh, black and white thinking in a way like that's exactly how it is and that's how it is. And that's like there's absolutely there's this conviction like I'm so convinced and there is a certain intuition, you know, available, but it's filtered through a, a subjective uh, and very often a deeply conditioned uh, uh, filter. We see things through our own experience and that's the knowledge of the North Node in, in Gemini. Like, listen, be rational, be a little bit mindful about how you influence people when you go out there. What is this conspiracy actually doing? Are you creating good? You know, is this helpful? Uh, uh, you know, these kinds of disagreements that can happen from a Sagittarius point of view, it's, it's rather, you know, it's, it, it can brew a war, you know? People get divorced because of political disagreements. I mean, from a Gemini point of view, we can be, in disagreement about something but we can hold a more advanced view you know an advanced way of seeing things we can see things that are even paradoxical you know like we can see things from a, a, a relative point of view like yes maybe church isn't good for people in the west but many people actually quite enjoy it you know maybe it's very important for them i don't want to you know take that away from them even if i don't need religion you know, that's like this understanding that everything is relative to where you are at that moment in time where you are there. So my cultural understanding is very uh, influenced by the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm here in the West and I'm, I'm a woman. That's one of mm -hmm. the things that I have to take into consideration. And I carry that heritage. I carry a lot of uh, presets due to my biology, like inherited energies from many, many women's, you know, uh, women back in time, you know, the, the ideas of my grandmothers, you know, how they spoke about all these things, you know, is always, you know, it's, it's here in my mind, it's reverb, uh, it's like it's an echo in me. And I have to be aware of that so that I am aware of what is influencing the greater truth when I go out into the world. And, and communicate my knowledge and and try as well as I can to stay away from being judgmental, which doesn't mean I shouldn't have judgment because we need correct judgment or correct understanding, as I like to call it, of what goes on here, you know? But the moment we have these war of religions, if we want to call it something, whether it's about the earth is being flat, earth is flat or, whether 5G is not healthy for us or if it's manufactured or whatever it is. And you have, and I saw these polarities very early on back in 2011, I did a lot of work on myself due to this academia versus the astrology thing, you know, like, okay. So like one just wants to force the other to think more like they do, you know, we just want to, um, we just want to save the world from their stupidity all the time. And then we don't realize we're doing the exact same thing as so many violent religions did before us, but just dressed up differently. You know, it's like, so I, I, tr I truly believe in um, the, uh, union in diversity, which is kind of a, a very spiritual expression of Gemini and in esoteric astrology, um, they have a very beautiful saying about Gemini. They say it's um, um, the will to no, the, the the will to understand and the law of right human relationships. Right human relationships, and that means we have to accept that some people need other things than we need. We have to get to a, another understanding of society. Actually, it's not one 
very convincing rule fits all, you know. So I think we're going to the depth of some of the philosophical ideas that, it, that are running our society also in the world of economy, like the way we, we run our economy. It's definitely not sustainable in the long run. And it cannot, you know, when Pluto entered um, Sagittarius in 1996, uh, we had this, um, the build up to the credit crunch that happened, zoop, the moment, uh, Pluto entered Capricorn. Boom. 2008, oh, credit crunch was a fact, you know. So the credit itself is, yeah, sure, we could just use the credit card. That's very Sagittarius, right? So it's, it's like this bigger, better, more, more, more. Like it's a certain kind of like overly expansive energy, yeah? So it needs this moderation of, of an understanding of, um, of a world that is full of people not just you and me you know there are so many people and one of the most beautiful things i saw through the covid was like the appreciation for the people who work in stores um like it was so silent but the only thing you could hear uh, actually coming to work was the guy who did the garbage bins you know there he was doing the garbage bins you know like i felt deep and real appreciation i've always had a a, a good um, love for, you know, people who do all these um, kinds of invisible work, because I used to work myself in all kinds of different jobs. And then you really get to appreciate the value of it. And so I think some of our ideals are about to really transform the way that we see each other as well. So, but um, then Iris and Pluto is squaring and well, I had a conversation with um, what I consider my teacher and also a friend, uh, a very interesting healer. And I would also like to call him just a seer, like this good old fashioned Rishi tradition. Can you talk about Iris a bit before you yeah, launch into the square? Okay, great. Yeah, that's, this, uh, this is exactly where I'm going with this. And he said, we had a conversation about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, and I was just talking loosely about it. And then he said, you know, so his, his, idea, his way of seeing the world is just exceptional. And then he said, this year we'll, we will see a lot of anger and people will behave like kids. That's all he said. And then, boom, you know, like in March came the COVID and the quarantine and whatnot, whatnot. And little did I know you know, like I've been thinking about those words so much after we will see people behave like children. And the Pluto Iris aspect there, you know, Iris is this warrior goddess, you know, she, um, she was uh, the cause of the Trojan War. Um, and what she, her genuine energy is that she does not like vanity. She does not like anything that's false. Um, so she can sort of stir a conflict where she sees people are kissing asses, for instance, which is a, a big <laughs> deal. Of our, yeah, but this is a big deal of our corporate way of living. You know, kiss ass, you have to kiss ass, you know, in order to survive, you have to kiss some ass over there. And then you have to swallow something, camels over here. And then you have to, you have to do so much in order to get somewhere. And all the features we put on us, like um, for, for women, very often it's about a beautiful look, for instance, and how that translates into some sort of power. This is exactly what Iris does not appreciate. So Eris is like the goddess of, um, of destroying the kiss up, kick down mentality. Absolutely. That I would definitely say. And, and she, you know, like I sometimes associate her with uh, Maleficent, if you saw that movie. It was portrayed by uh, Angelina Jolie, who is a moon uh, Iris conjunction in Aries. Oh. And, yeah, yeah, you should check it out. I mean, and there she plays the, the most powerful of all the fairies. You know, that's this very powerful, feminine, magical nature force in a way and she's shunned upon because she's she's too truthful she's just too much yeah and and she's also she's also always confronting uh superficiality she's confronting uh, masquerades she's confronting the corruption in a way you know and and for that she was outcasted so um uh, Philip Sedgwick, actually, a, a very uh, funny astrologer who normally uh, does some of the 
what do you call it? Toast, toast. He does the toast for the Norwak. Like he's, he's oh yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. And he he wrote a very nice piece about Aries a long time ago because he's, he's always been on the forefront of of these um, newly discovered bodies of of uh, of knowledge that we've discovered little by little. And uh, he wrote this article: "Do not snub Iris." And I thought that was such a good name. Do not snub her. Yeah, do not snub her. What snub her of what? Well, of of her natural rights. So that's why I think you know there's such a, a vortex of anger spinning now. It's like, come on, this is just you know, we are kind of confronting the superficiality of everything, the injustice of the system, this uh, situation in in Minneapolis. Of, of course, I mean, what did you expect that you can keep on doing this stuff forever? I mean, come on, it's just about it's about human rights. It's not about race anymore. You know, like we are there now. We cannot talk about. Um, we cannot castrate feminists just because it doesn't it's not appropriate for us to talk about feminism anymore because god knows women have too much power anyway you know like it's become almost like a, a thing um that we're not supposed to talk about anymore and i even you know i i i see what people what kind of sources of of information they're picking it from and it's the it's it's the alt-right movement and a lot of this back to the you know the old way of doing things and there's this i understand the redundancy of a lot of this masculine the men you know like a, a true feminist would never oppose a man it's just about human rights you know that's it but the war between the genders is one of the most terrifying things actually on this planet because it's really something that i think you know it's weakening weakening us that we're not in it together and we could work well together if we just knew how to appreciate each other's powers you know like and and, and be equal in that even if we're different right but a lot of these suffragettes i did a lot of study on the suffragette movements and a lot of them had like a very powerful iris uh, placement which makes sense you know like we have to fight as well sometimes but it's the manner in which we fight that i think is is really a little bit of um a challenge here now um you know um how do we how do we fight injustice and sometimes i'm afraid you know to i i think it's necessary sometimes with a war yeah not all wars are you know bad in the sense that the end um greater um, justice prevails and and dark powers like Hitler did not take over the world, for instance. But now we see it more on a, on a more individual level, uh, you know, like happening between people and in, in people's lives. And I, I think we just, um, we just want um, justice. And, and, and I think if we could just get the debate over on human rights, instead of talking about but they did this and they're like that and blah 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 and and take out gender and take out race and take out everything out of it and just start talking about human rights i think we would have a, a, a not so volatile debate around these things but as long as the system is continuing its abuse um it's difficult not to be angry I like how you phrase that. So it sounds like when you talk about the nodal axis in particular, <clears throat> you're saying that that North Node in Gemini is offering the opportunity for us to move towards um, different ideas living together. This democratization of notions, of philosophies, of, uh, of, of information. And that South Node in um, Sagittarius um, is kind of an anchor to some of those older philosophies. We might even see the shadow of some of those emerge. Um, and we should try to be focusing on letting ideas live together. Um, and it sounds like that <clears throat> Eris Pluto um, aspect um, is providing Eris the juice to lash out at places where people um, or societal structures, we're talking Capricorn here. Um, mm are kind of holding on to those older forms of oppression or systems where people have to be supplicated to exist. Mm, yeah, more or less so. It's like, um, you know, and I don't know, revolution is always such an intense situation, you know, like um, 
are we willing to go there? You know, what at what cost will this revolution happen? You know, I don't think people romanticize revolution a lot, but I, I truly firmly believe in, in, in more gentle evolution, but not without conflict. Of course, uh, a little bit of conflict done right stirs up uh, greater awareness about yourself and how you created it as well. And, or not just you, but me as well. You know, like um, all relationships are innately designed to, to create more, you know, it, it just naturally does so, uh, creating more awareness, consciousness, but not always. You know, we cannot keep repeating this. Um, although I think, you know, what happens in Minneapolis now that they are really pulling out the big guns and really making some noise, it's important to, to um, acknowledge this is um it's not um it's not um sustainable anymore you know how how um yeah i was a little shocked when i went to chicago and to see all the people living on the streets and and you know and i saw how bizarre the whole thing was because here you have an industrial country you know and you know where, where you actually earn more money than anybody else on earth but you also have like this sub level of homeless and people who are not getting any support from society. And that's more like a third world thing, you know, like people living under bridges and stuff and, and large numbers of them too. I was downtown Chicago doing some internet work and, and having a coffee at Starbucks. And I saw numerous people wandering around talking to themselves and and I also remember that when I went to San Francisco and there were some experiences that I made, you know, not that I know all of the United States. I've been around some places, you know, and it's not visible everywhere. But I saw I've seen some some stuff that really shows that the difference between rich and poor in that country is now so, so, so large that it's really causing a situation in the United States that's quite dangerous because safe people are happy people safe people a safe society is a happy society and people are only safe if they have enough money to provide for their families and for themselves it, it, everything else will just lead to um uh, the, the shadows taking over as a pushing people to their borders creating all kinds of crime and stuff so i think you know these old ideas what that exists and even here as well we have racism you know like ideas about oh, those people they probably don't work you know like we have ideas preconceived ideas about things we even have racism towards poor people you know like well they're poor they must be stupid not necessarily so did you ever talk to anybody you know like huh you know there's a reason for dysfunction and a lot of it is lack of resources actually once you have resources, you can go to the chiropractor and get your neck adjusted so that you don't feel like a ee, shitty all day and then you lash out on somebody because you feel the annoyance in your body and stuff like that. If you have your head out of material worry, you won't be in a shitty mood and then you won't be a problem for your neighbor. So it's as easy as that, you know? So I'm, I'm, cons I'm thinking, maybe, hoping, maybe we'll get the debate into civil pay, you know, like every citizen just get some basic wages. Not everybody's gonna have a work, you see, in the future because the robots are taking over. We just have to accept that. So I did, just, did you ever see the Sci-Fi series, The Expanse? No. Nobody saw it and I love it because it's the future. <laughs> Go on Amazon. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's it's definitely a very good show. It used to be on Sci-Fi, but it's about a futuristic world where the UN has taken over a lot of the control. It's it's rather plausible if you ask me. They um, they managed to kind of uh, inhabit it, uh, uh, live on Mars, uh, still without atmosphere, and then they are doing some mining over at the asteroid belt. That's the the general thing, which is yeah, I can see that. But the situation that made me think was that I think in that show, I like 50% of the, the population on earth is unemployed. Yeah. So what do we do about that redundancy? Is it an opportunity for us to grow as, as Renaissance people? Do we sit home and, and, and learn three languages and paint beautiful pictures and, and show the beauty to the world? Or do we go into a, a zone where we feel uh, 
worthless and and like because we're not producing anything and we're not getting any of that fake power anyway you know so if we don't have money we are more likely to go into that zone where we are breeding the hatred towards those who actually run the place you know so if you give people dignity back you will see they will give the best in return and then we can see a beautiful world now i'm aquarius and jupiter is in my sun so i might be a little optimistic but that's the vision i carry for the per for the for earth because i see so much beauty in people once they start working on their shadow and they they heal the beauty emerges and have you ever seen a child who's not really full of beauty? It's very rarely you see somebody who's like, like a little playful child. It's just so full of beauty. And that's the core of every human being. So I truly believe in that. But we got to get hmm? That was beautiful, uh, Sol. And I took so many notes, I feel like I, I zoned out a couple times. Um, I thank you so much for coming on. It was a wonderful talk. And, uh, and you did talk about portrayal, um, but you brought everything I hoped you would as far as um, your bright, optimistic outlook. It was wonderful. Before I sign us off, can you tell people, please, how they can find you? Well, yeah, I do have a website. It's, um, it's W, yeah, well, it's sold. Uh, and then this hyphen, hyphen, like this, mm -hmm. that's what you call it. Yep. And then my last name is exactly like you say with i was with soul the other day because it's w-i-t-h and some people think that's weird weird but it's actually a name <laughs> in europe and then it's dot uh, com soul hyphen with dot com that's fantastic um yeah. thank you so much um i so, uh, after uh after all this blows over i'd love to have you back on and we can talk about something more uh more shiny than betrayal but but i don't think we're ready for that as a human species right now. <laughs> hello and <laughs> i'll be delighted to come back kate absolutely mm. fantastic and remember a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men mm -hmm.